Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? Welcome into the Wednesday, August the 14th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins wrapped up the first of two joint practices on Tuesday in Tampa Bay. We'll detail the word from the men on the beat. We'll discuss the reason why Miami quickly threw water on the Jadavian Clowney fire. We've got some new starters to talk about, and I'll empty the noggin on some random notes and thoughts about the current makeup of this team, plus your questions on the Twitter mailbag, all of that and much more on a busy show. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. The show is at LockedOnFins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the entire Locked On Network, as well as the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and the new rebranded Locked On NFL podcast with the expert analysis of former NFL scout Matt Williamson and new host Brian Peacock. We have a lot to get to. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins And we start with some injury news, as we usually do here on the podcast from today's training camp practice, Tuesday's training camp practice, I should say. And we heard word from Omar Kelly of the South Florida Sun Sentinel that both Kenyon Drake and Terrell Hanks, the undrafted linebacker out of New Mexico, left practice on Tuesday. A bummer for a pair of guys that I think are playing really well right now, both in practice and on the playing field in the one game. It sounds like nothing too serious with Kenyon Drake and Hanks, on the other hand, I have not heard a peep as far as the severity of his injury, so we will go ahead and keep tabs and monitor that injury for Terrell Hanks. Some positive injury news, Albert Wilson participated in 7-on-7 drills on Tuesday's practice. This comes from Safed Dean of the South Florida Sun Sentinel also, and that's just terrific because he hadn't done anything outside of the individual periods of practice prior to this, and getting him involved against other people and against live bullets, even though it's not live tackling, is a positive step in the right direction. I would venture to guess that he's not going to be ready for the opening day against the Baltimore Ravens. If he is, it'll be in a very limited package-specific decoy type of role. But the fact that they didn't put him on the PUP to start the season and kept him working in those individual drills makes you think that he won't be out past the bye week because the week six PUP designation, you have to keep a guy on PUP to be able to hold him off the roster for six weeks and not count against your 53. So they will have him on that opening day 53-man roster. He might be a game day inactive, but at least we know they have plans for him to come back sometime in September. And how about some lineup changes on both offensive and defensive sides of the football? A bit of a reaction to the game on Thursday as we saw a pair of defensive ends elevated to the first team. More on that in just a minute because... What the hell are you doing, Travis? Play the hits. Josh Rosen finally, and not to toot my own horn here, but I did say this would happen in the recap broadcast on Friday. Josh Rosen finally gets to work with the first team. 
both with the first-team offensive line and first-team wide receivers, though it does sound like he worked with the receivers on a limited basis, whereas he spent extensive time with that first-team offensive line. And wouldn't you know it, his first-team period series with the first-team offense goes penalty, sack, 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 punt. (laughs) Of course it does. Why wouldn't it go any other way than a horrible, horrible series for Josh Rosen because of a lack of protection on the offensive line? And the discouraging aspect as far as it pertains to Josh Rosen himself, and to be perfectly honest, some surprise clarity from Coach Flores, where he's normally more candid about stuff like this, is that he mentioned a concern he has with Rosen that goes all the way back all the way back to when he first entered the limelight as a quarterback, his body language and the demeanor. And that demeanor was something that I commented on during my time down at Dolphins training camp. When he struggles, he gets a little bit down on himself. He misses a throw. He hangs his head. You want to see a young man like this, a quarterback, a potential team captain, show more conviction than that. Get mad about it. Don't get sad. Get upset with yourself. Hell, put him in a room with Dan Marino. That'll change very quickly. Brian Flores also mentioned the plan is to start Ryan Fitzpatrick, but that situation is more fluid and could change before the game on Friday night. And translation to that is basically what I said on yesterday's podcast, that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to start, play two, three, maybe four series if the offense gets off the field quickly and he needs more reps, and then we'll see Josh Rosen get a series or two with the ones, then play out the string, probably through the third quarter, I would imagine, before giving way to third-string quarterback Jake Rudock. And to spin things back over to the defensive side of the ball and talk about the lineup changes we saw on the first-team defense, there were some changes on the defensive line, particularly off the edge. And after Charles Harris played 35 snaps in the preseason opener... He winds up getting demoted for the man that wrecked shop all second half long. You guys heard me talk about his PFF metrics. You heard me talking about his performance in the recap podcast. You saw the videos up on Twitter. Undrafted free agent Jonathan Ledbetter, who is just a heavy-handed son of a gun. He has great eye discipline. He really adheres to this defense and fits into this scheme and what they want to do well. And to make this jump from undrafted free agent, albeit a guy that probably should have been in the fifth, sixth, or even the seventh round of the draft, to go from undrafted free agent into a potential starting lineup position by the second week of the preseason, that's very impressive work from Jonathan Ledbetter, and he has certainly earned it. And he joins Nate Orchard on the other side of the defensive line. And Orchard, to me, looked like a guy who might be a cut candidate through the first week of practice, but he has really turned it on since that time. And I've told you about the variety of roles that he fills on this defensive lineman, the lone down lineman over the nose in that amoeba package where you have everybody kind of wandering about the line of scrimmage trying to find a gap to pick, to rush, or to back out, or off the edge in a two-point stance in a more traditional linebacker type of position, or even as a five or seven technique with his hand in the dirt in a three-point stance. I think Nate Orchard might be a focal point on this defense this year, whereas before we might have thought that maybe this guy wasn't going to make the opening day roster. Okay, we're going to come back and open up the Twitter mailbag, get to the rest of the camp notes, and I'll tell you about a few things on my mind with this team's overall makeup, including a take on Chandler Cox. And on the subject of Cox, is your personal fullback coming up soft and timid when you need him the most? Don't go floundering into the A-gap without conviction. Restore your strength and lead dive into the gap 
with Blue Chew. Listen up, fellas. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever your number is called. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code, one word, Locked On to try it free today. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, you're definitely on social media, right? And if you're on social media, you saw Preston Williams torture a poor, poor Buccaneers cornerback on the play. The corner throws a two-handed jam lunging out over his skis, which is never a good thing. Not sure what kind of technique they're teaching up there in Tampa Bay, but the cornerback whiffs, leaving a solid three yards of separation immediately, which off the line of scrimmage is completely absurd, especially in press man. Separation for Williams by three yards, but since it's an individual period, he has to finish the route where he properly stacks the defensive back. And when you guys hear me say stack the defensive back, you want to get them right onto your back because that allows you to then break off the route at the top of the route and they have to basically be accountable for either direction you're going to go when you break the top of that route. So when you hear stacking a defensive back, it's all about getting out in front of that DB and putting him right behind you, kind of like a drifter would in a bicycle race. I think they do that or maybe even a NASCAR I don't know, but that's what stacking a defensive back does. So Williams stacks the DB after shredding him off the release. And then at the top of the route, he puts him on ice skates once again and throws him to the floor with another shake. An absolute thing of beauty from the unicorn, which is just a rare, rare looking talent from a guy that goes six foot five in Preston Williams. And also that was a fourth year veteran cornerback, not a big name, but no pup either. So Preston Williams picking right up where he left off from the game on Thursday. And then we had some other practice notes from several of the beat guys, Omar Kelly and Safed Dean of the South Florida Sun Sentinel, Hal Habib of the Palm Beach Post, and Adam Beasley of the Miami Herald. Those were the four guys I was tracking the most on Tuesday's practice. And we're even going to go deeper into the Miami Herald and go over an Armando Salguero article. Sacrilege around these parts, I know. But then again, it's not going to be the most flattering commentary. We'll come back to that here in just one second. But from all accounts, the offensive line once more was an absolute train wreck. Isaiah Prince received a promotion to the second team right tackle position. And that was something I advocated for. And as quickly as it arrived, it was gone. He was apparently a disaster all day long and was on the wrong end of a lot of yelling from Dave DeGugliamo, who was apparently getting his vocal workout in today at that practice, really getting after the offensive line, who just were bad again. It's not a good sign for this team trying to build and establish a foundation. You're going to have a difficult time evaluating your quarterback and your skill set if the offensive line's no good. I mean, there's being bad and there's being like unpassable 
for the NFL level. And a lot of offensive lines in the league are bad. That's just where we are with the current makeup of the offensive line position because all these guys with modern medicine, modern training, they're getting themselves to become elite level athletes. And those guys want to rush the passer. They want to play defense. Nobody wants to play offensive line. So there's a definite lack of supply at the position and a high demand. And right now Miami is on the wrong end of that potential supply. And Ndamukong Sue really did his thing in this practice on that interior offensive line. And one of the guys I think they need to get out there is Chris Reed. He continues to run with the second team and maybe they're looking at Michael Dieter and Shaq Calhoun as guys that we need to get them as many snaps and first team reps possible to get them ready because we kind of know who Chris Reed is. Plus, Chris Reed has to cross train and play backup center because the next option there is Michael Dieter and he has barely gotten any work as the third team center. So Chris Reed has to cross train at backup center and possibly fill in as a starting guard. He played 52 snaps the other night and really only had a handful of bad ones. He had one really bad rep in a pass set but he was good on the whole. He's been one of the best five on this team, I think, throughout camp. He deserves to have one of those spots. Other notes, Xavier Howard, again, snatches two more INTs. I mean, okay, what are we even doing anymore? This is an everyday thing for this all-pro cornerback. Now, Trevor Sikama of the Draft Network and various Buccaneers websites was there, and he showed a couple of videos, which good for him for taking video. That's a big no-no in Miami. But he took some videos, one of Mike Evans, another of Chris Godwin, and both those guys can flat ball, man. Really good players. They were getting the best of Xavier Howard, but still, two picks. You get two interceptions on a day. That's a good day for a cornerback. Kalen Balaj at tailback, he opened up with the first team and took a 70-yard house call all the way to the end zone. He apparently looked smooth as a runner, but his struggles in the passing game continue to persist. And this kind of jives with the idea I had on the Thursday postgame show that he was in the wrong position on that little wheel route that Ryan Fitzpatrick missed him on in that game. That could have been at least a first down, if not a touchdown, a long touchdown, but I think that Balazs was in the wrong spot. I just think it's not clicking for him there in the way he has to get to landmarks and the proper technique and way to open his body and open his hips when he receives these particular routes as a pass catcher. Other notes, apparently Nick Needham was with the first team again, I guess trying to build his confidence, but had another rough day and got injured on top of that. Talk about injury to insult. Tough week for the rookies so far. And there was also way too much laundry on the field. That was from Bruce Arians and Brian Flores together. A common theme that neither of these two head coaches want to see in their first year with these respective teams. So that was pretty much it. I wish I could have been there to give you guys the usual in-depth coverage, but I had to dig lastly here before we get into the mailbag into this Armando Salguero column up on the Miami Herald website. Now it's about 500 words, give or take. And I promised I was done trashing these guys because it doesn't do any good. Just read the beat guys you want to read. The best will shine through eventually. But this one is 500 words of duh. It's just obvious, man. Like, basically, it says that Jadavian Clowney wasn't an option because the Dolphins want their draft picks next year to solidify that quarterback position. It talked about Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert, Tua Tungavailoa, omitted Jordan Love. It did say some other quarterbacks could be in that mix. But if you're not putting Jordan Love in this quarterback conversation, just to be fair, you, you don't know what you're talking about right now because he's in that mix. And that has been known for like a year now, at least for nine months now. 
Clowney can't redo his deal until the season's over, and Miami's due diligence on this, and this is completely unsubstantiated, but I can almost guarantee it just from my own perspective and my own knowledge that Miami's due diligence on this was done to pursue Clowney next year in free agency because whoever he gets traded to or if he goes back to the Texans, he has to play this year on that franchise tag, so... He's going to enter free agency next year unless the team he goes to or stays with, the Texans, somehow pull off a miracle contract extension for him, which is going to be way more than what Trey Flowers got. So please don't make that comparison. And the Dolphins, we don't even know if they were in on Trey Flowers. So again, that comparison drives me nuts. But to get back to the main point here, obviously the Dolphins want their quarterback not trading for Clowney is not really in connection to the idea of getting the quarterback and having those draft picks. It's more about not spending a draft pick for a guy that you're going to have a chance to bid on for free next offseason. So just leaving that all there. And my one last thought here before the mailbag to empty the noggin, so to speak, refers to Chandler Cox. I mean, we have to do it after that beautiful Blue Chew ad read, right? Chandler Cox played 14 snaps the other night, and it was 21 personnel packages all day long. That package is here to stay. They're clearly going to import that from the New England scheme, and 14 divided by 65, or however many snaps they played on Thursday, equates to a little over 20% of the offensive workload. Now, James Devlin in New England, he played 35% of the Patriots snaps last year, and I expect Cox to be right in that range, probably closer to 30%. So what happens if Cox gets hurt? And, you know, the puns are writing themselves right now. But what is the plan to sustain an offensive package that is one-third of your offense? That's why you have to keep four tight ends, in my opinion. And Nick O'Leary hasn't done it much in camp so far, but he did line up in the backfield last year a couple of times. And I think that will be the contingency in the event that Chandler Cox gets banged up a little too hard. Again, the puns writing themselves today. And with that, let's go ahead and open one mailbag question. We'll take a last break and then get to the rest of the mailbag on the other side here of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find us wherever you get podcasts from Monday through Friday, the number one downloaded podcast on the internet as it pertains to the Miami Dolphins, a top 200 show on iTunes. You guys know the drill. We do things the best around here. Let's go ahead and open this mailbag up. And take this first question from Zach Carey. He's at ZachAttack3733 on Twitter. Zach, I appreciate all the stuff you do for us here on these mailbags. And he asked me a very simple question. Why isn't your account verified? Honestly, I ever since that, was it the Virginia Tiki Torch, you know, white supremacist marching they did where the one guy was verified and it came back as an issue for Twitter. So they had to kind of basically do away with their verification process. That was basically when I got on Twitter three years ago. So as I understand it, it's more of a complex process than, than what it used to be as far as applying for your own verification. I don't know how it works. I thought maybe that fake account would be a push for Twitter to verify me. But I do want to speak on this real quick because I had a message today on my Twitter DM inbox. Somebody who apparently isn't a fan of me, and they basically came after me and said that the only reason that I am in this position I'm in right now, which is working full-time in football media, is because one, I was handed this podcast, and two, because I don't have children so I can work more. And I just, I want to get this out in the open that the only way you can really piss me off on Twitter or pretty much anywhere else in regards to my football writing career or football podcasting career is to disparage my work ethic because I took over this podcast and there are plenty of podcasts in this network that don't do well. I'll be completely transparent about that. We have a lot of podcasts that don't get high downloads. Guys are not making decent little paydays like some of our podcasts are. 
And the reason that I got into a position where this podcast does bring back a little bit of a paycheck is because I worked my ass off to get to this stage. I opened this podcast with 20 downloads the first episode because the previous host had gone kind of AWOL and there wasn't a lot of downloads when he was on the podcast. So this thing got built up from the ground up. Three years later, over 10,000 Twitter followers, you know, a million downloads on the podcast this year alone. It just really gripes me because I work 30, 40 hours a week on this stuff, putting this stuff together for you guys. And for someone to come after it and say that I was gifted this job or I was handed this or lucked into it, That's total BS and I won't have any of that. So just if you're going to come after me with that stuff, be prepared to get shot back down either on Twitter or on the podcast. So not to go on that tangent, we're going to come back on the other side of the podcast here and get back into the Twitter mailbag. All that next here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. But first, I want to remind fantasy football players out there to make sure you're checking out Vinny Iyer and Lockdown Fantasy Football. Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years covering fantasy football. Don't listen to the same stuff as everybody else. Then you wind up with the same team as everybody else. Get the edge from Vinny that will put you ahead on draft day and put you ahead all season long. It's Locked On Fantasy Football on your favorite podcast provider. So kind of a different schedule this week here on the podcast. On tomorrow's show, I'm going to do my own individual preview of the game and give you the 10 or 12 things to look for in that game and give you a preview of it in its entirety. And then on Friday, we're going to have a crossover podcast with the host of Locked On Buccaneers. And we're probably going to finish up the mailbag on that episode because I don't think I'll get 25 minutes out of that interview. So we'll come back and answer the rest of the mailbag questions we don't get to today, at least get to as many as we can. And with that, let's jump right back into the mailbag. You guys know the drill. I put the call out on Twitter. You respond with a question and get a shout out and the question answered here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. And this one comes in from one of my original followers, TJ. What's going on, man? TJ Brackeen. He's at TJ Brackeen. And again, I love when you guys have the same name as your at. It makes it easy on me. Hey, can you envision a formation that involves only big players to expose a defense? This is what I'm thinking. The quarterback, whoever it is, running back Kalen Balazs, fullback Chandler Cox, Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, and Mike Gesicki. Is this possible to happen? Absolutely it is. And you might even go unbalanced offensive line with that package where you bring a sixth offensive lineman onto the field. And that might be where Isaiah Prince figures into things because you're probably going to run the ball out of that formation or at least sell run action. And with that, you can throw the ball to a guy like Kalen Balazs or Chandler Cox coming out of the backfield. As far as the receivers, I think that maybe we go Kenny Stills over Devontae Parker because he's more trustworthy as a route runner. And frankly, I think he plays more physical and bigger than Devontae Parker. And the same is probably true of Mike Gesicki. I'd go with Dwayne Allen in that package, but definitely going to see lots of creative stuff like that this year, TJ. No doubt about that. Next question from JT Evans at JT underscore Evans 97. Another easy one. If Rosen matched this week one performance, should he be the starter or do you think he would have to surpass that to overtake Fitzpatrick? I've always kind of contended that if it was even and if the players on the field and an extension of the media and fans alike, if they can see that it's even enough between Fitzpatrick and Rosen, then give it to Rosen, man. Like there's no reason to go out there with Ryan Fitzpatrick. My only worry 
is that Josh Rosen might not be ready in this particular scheme. And I know a lot of folks say that, well, he's a second-year guy now. He should be out there beating out Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well, no, because this offense is extremely complex. It puts a lot of stress on the quarterback. It empowers the quarterback once they have that level of comfort. And right now, Fitzpatrick has that. Rosen's getting there. But I want to make sure that Josh Rosen is fully fully 100% confident before he goes out there. To kind of relate this to my own life, I was a in-season call-up to my varsity basketball team my sophomore season, and I was so pumped to get out there and play. But the first time I touched the ball, realizing how fast those guys move compared to the JV, I just wanted to catch it, get rid of it, get back to my spot, and just make sure I didn't mess up the offense. And then come my senior year, two years later, it was like JV all over again. It was slow. I knew what I was doing, and it was way easier for me to execute the offense that way. That's how I view this situation at quarterback. Let's make sure Josh Rosen is comfortable before we just throw him out there. Next question here comes in from ST. He's at SteveTUT76 on Twitter. Steve, I met up with him down in South Florida in Hollywood. He was very gracious and very hospitable. How's it going, Steve? Good to see you again, man. What are some of the advantages, disadvantages of using 21 personnel groupings besides simply adding a lead blocker to the run game with less receivers? Well, there you, you mentioned it right away. We'll get to the second part of your question here in a second. But you mentioned that you basically have to kind of scale back the route concepts that you can run because you can't really include the running backs and the fullback for that matter into a two-man route combination. You're going to have one side of the field where you basically have a one-man one route combination. And this offense tends to go after the two- and three-man combinations where basically two of the routes are designed to free up the third guy. So it can kind of take away an advantage that way on the offense. As far as the defense, if that fullback can catch, then he can get himself out into the flats and make a play that way and get you six, seven yards on first down, which is a huge advantage. So in addition to the lead blocking, it definitely impacts the passing game as well. And a follow-up question, what do you see as the Finns' tendencies in that package and how will they add depth to the playbook by playing off of those tendencies? One thing you're going to see a lot of, I think, is a weak side run because you tend to have an offset eye formation from the fullback and they obviously are going to think they're going to jam that ball into the play side A gap or B gap and run right behind the fullback. Well, off of that, you can run misdirection and flip a little pitch out to the running back and he's got a one-on-one situation where if he makes a, a tackle or miss, He's off to the races, so you can do some of that. You can incorporate the play-action boot, some naked boot, get the fullback into the flat on the passing game. You can dummy some split-zone action where you take the fullback or the tight end and bring him across the formation and throw a block that way. All kinds of variables, all kinds of options off that package. Great question, Steve. Really good conversation there with myself. Next question here, and this is the last one we'll do today, comes from Mark Manor. He's at Easterly1. Is the plan to get the line as good as it can be before they put Josh Rosen in, like games four through eight? I think that's certainly something to think about because right now you put him back there, you could destroy the kid's confidence all over again after he's done well to kind of put himself back into a confident position after a tough OTA period and a tough first week of camp. It goes with what I said to JT about having him be ready before you put him out there. If you've got a bad offensive line, and look, this line's not going to be good this year any way you slice it. They're just not talented enough. But if if he's going to be out there behind a bad offensive line, this whole project could end before it even begins. So maybe you do develop some of that continuity and get these guys playing at least as one solid unit, as Coach Flores says, compared to five guys doing their own thing and not excelling in really any area of the game. Okay, we're going to come back and answer some more of those questions on the Friday podcast. 
But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you tomorrow for a game day preview edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast one day early. Your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.